It's a very good question. And I like the way that you are approaching it with Adab. Okay? Because one of the signs of the disobedient ones of the Ahir Zaman is 24 hours they start cursing. The Prophet is saying they start cursing their ancestors. We don't curse at them. We take lesson. And one word that I remember our Sheikh saying that will always stick in my heart is showing us how to give tremendous respect to our predecessors. And he's saying, number one, even some words that you use in our association, we try to refrain from, even in English. For example, we don't say sins. Understand? We say there are certain things that they're doing that is not acceptable. We find a way. Because once you try to find a way to have a proper word to use, your heart turns differently. Your mind starts to turn differently. And there were times, our Sheikh was saying, even in the times when the Khilafat, especially in the times of the Omawis and the Abbasis that came later on, uh, where so many things were done. It says, even in their worst time, now understand, when we're talking about history now, our approach to history, our knowledge of history, our way of understanding history through the method of learning history, is not through Islamic system. There is an Islamic way of learning history. There is an Islamic way of understanding the progression of history. There is an Islamic way of understanding the method of history. We go to Western schools. We are in that frame of mind. Now, if you want to understand this, you've got to open it up a little bit. Okay? Understand that the leader of a nation, surprise, surprise, is not chosen by the people. Okay? For over 1,400 years, it is not the system of this so-called democracy. I say so-called because democracy is still a changing system. And what is Allah and His Prophet's view of the Khalifa? What is the Khalifa? As Sultan al-Awliya Shaykh Nazim was saying, the Khalifa, the leader, is the essence of the people. And it is Allah who put that leader there. So now there is um, a very big cosmic plan that is happening when that leader is chosen. Especially if an Islamic leader is chosen for that king, kingdom, for that empire, for the world. It is the essence of the people. Allah, they are saying that if the people, if the people are bad, the leader will be bad. If the people are good, the leadership is going to be good. So now, it shifts the blame of individuals to the blame of the Ummat. And the transgression of the Ummat, it is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So it's not a slip of politics. Oh, we should have chosen Hillary. Now we have Trump. It's not that. There is a divine hand always that is controlling things. Yes, even now. Even now Allah is still in charge. That is one side. On the other side, Prophet made it very clear, extremely clear. He says, even if your Khalifa takes the skin of your back, do not rebel. This is a open um, hadith that for 1400 years, by and large, let us say, that the Muslims have held on to for those who are believing and is held on to by the uh, ulama and the awliya. This is specific also to the awam. Certain things may happen at the top. It is not now the responsibility of the awam. If we only go out on the streets and wave placards and stand in front of a tank, then this whole world is going to change. This whole world does not revolve around us. And even now as we speak, there are people who control. It's not us. The genius of the 21st century is they put everything, the blame and everything, on the majority, the awam. Pollution, we have to solve the problem. Poverty, we have to solve the problem. Uh, whatever that we have done, we have to solve the problem. But how were the problems made? It was not the awam who made the problems especially in the Ahir Zaman, but it is a few. <laughs> so the Prophet is saying, don't rebel, because now there is a divine reason why that leader is there. Put that aside now. Were there Khalifas that commit wrong actions? Now for us to even understand the answer to that a little bit, what is the position of a Khalifa? Do we know what are his rights? Do we know what is his mm, responsibilities? Do we know what is sanctioned by Allah and by the Sharia or not? We can't really say. We know, for example, the president is like this. He has certain rights. But even then, so many people, every day they wake up in shock. Oh, president can do this? President can do this? President can do this? Now the Khalifa and the rights of a Khalifa, which is not a uh, popular... Uh, knowledge these days that a lot of Muslims and non-Muslims deride it is very difficult for us to understand what is it that Allah has given according to the Sharia what the Khalifa can do it's very controversial too the Khalifa has the right now Allah has given him the right to commit murder let us say to execute he will not be questioned there is a whole science of this as well. That if we don't know, then we're going to say, but what about this? It doesn't. We're coming at the tail end of the 20th century, just the beginning of the 21st century. right? And we're judging something that happened a thousand years ago without proper knowledge of Islamic history and understanding and culture and even Shara, even basic things. It's difficult for us now to judge. But let's talk a little bit upon that. Because now as... We are talking from a Naqshbandi point of view, from a Tasawwuf point of view. I'm not talking from a Fiqh point of view, and I'm not talking from a point of view of a study of Islamic history. Now, 
put that aside. Now the Khalifa. Specifically, you're talking of the Mutazilis. Yes, especially in the time of the Umawis. The Umawis, they are notorious for maintaining their power. And one of the uh, things that they used to maintain their power is, yes, they were going and they were hunting down and executing and killing the grandchildren of the Holy Prophet, Okay? That is not something that we are proud of. And definitely is not something that we approve. But as Ahli Sunnah, as believers, we hold our tongue. Because now, are we responsible? No. They are responsible because they did it. You understand? If we get into the mix now, then we're taking sides. We know, we pull back. They were doing that. Where they punished. You can't say that they were not punished. You can't say, nobody can say that what they did, they got away scot-free. They didn't. Because what happened when the Abbasis took over? They executed every single member of the house of uh, Muawiyah. The Umawis. Every single one they killed. They didn't stop there. They dug out the cemeteries of those ones who were buried, belonging to the same house. That over 150 years, 180 years, I think, they dug every single one out and they burned them. You see. Except for one, one escaped. Huh? One escaped and he went to North Africa and he went to Spain and then he started his own thing that was happening there. Abbasis did that now. I was... Uh, joking, uh, saying, oh, Cherkes, uh, they like this. Arabs, they like this too. You understand? Everyone, don't worry. It's equal opportunity. Later, I'm going to talk about the Pakistanis and the Malaysians. and the <laughs> They did that. Understand? Regardless of how they position themselves now, according to uh, Akida, yes, the uh, the leader may be swayed like this or like that. What happened when they took over Damascus was, to understand also, it was like they entered into paradise, worldly paradise. They've never seen that kind of civilization before and they took over. And the system there was Christian, of course. Now they have to deal in that and they have to deal specifically with people of the dunya. So there were a lot of like push and pull that was happening at that time. There was still a lot of turbulence that happened at that time. And when the Abbasis took over, they went to Baghdad now. Now you have the pull of a more ancient civilization. And then there was another push and pull that was happening there. In these two Arab uh, I'm oversimplifying a lot of things, huh? but just for understanding. In these two Arab dynasties, the Umawis and the Abbasis, Tasawuf wasn't so important. It was there, but it wasn't so important. 
There were certain people, certain nobles, certain sultans that were supported, but it wasn't so important. Baghdad became the capital. And it became the city of imagination. And the Muslims rose to higher levels of civilization. According to what? According to dunya. The civilization is dunya. Allah sent a big smack by those ones, the Mongols, that came. And they burnt the libraries. All this technology at that time, knowledge of that time, people of that time, they massacred, they killed, they destroyed them. And openly he's saying, I'm a punishment from your God. I'm a punishment from Allah. And the Muslims knew. When Muslims have haya and modesty and faith, they know this is definitely Allah is sending this. There's something wrong that we did. Did they do wrong? They did a lot of wrong. The society, the people. People at the top, they're doing wrong things. We'll talk about Andalusia, the Iberian Peninsula now. One of the reasons why they became so rich was they were in the Mediterranean controlling the waterways between East and West. They became very rich, they became very powerful. Another uh, golden age of Islam that the West say this is a golden age, which the Abbasis were looking at them and like, you're living in the boondocks. You're not even, you're not even Arabs. <coughs> they were looking down on Andalusia and saying that all you claiming that you're coming from the house of, you know, uh, Muawiyah, house of Marwan, you are all Europeans, look. And they were struggling so hard to look Arabs. They were dyeing their hair black. They were trying to sound more, not, you know, Arab than just to give themselves more legitimacy. But did they have civilization? Yes, they did. They had a high civilization that the whole world had not seen. They were also running to get the high knowledge of the occult. And it was in Spain that the highest uh, expression of one golden age, golden age of Judaism came. Kabbalah came out from that. And the uh, Jews flocked there. And the Muslims were interested, as the Muslims are interested today. So many entering into tariqats to be interested in this kind of things. They're not interested to become servant of Allah. From the highest to the lowest, they were interested. The highest ones that were in power, they were uh, sitting and they were exchanging knowledge with those other ones, with the rabbis, and they were even able to tell, to predict the exact day and hour and minute when death was going to come. You understand? Where well, Allah is openly saying that is unknown. They were able to do that. So knowledge was open there. And they were running after that. But it is still dunya. What is the proof of that? That it didn't work. Another big smack happened to them. They start fighting with each other. You know, I tell you specifically when a big smack happened to them. I forget the name of that sultan. When he built the... Uh, 
this new city and he coined his coin and he declared himself Khalifa. Khalifa. He was a Khalifa. He's not just a Sultan, a Khalifa. Prophet says there's only one Khalifa. There's only one head. If there are two, cut one off. How are modern people with modern sensibilities going to even understand this? So, when he declared that, the next year, there was a big revolution that happened, and his enemies destroyed everything. Of course, by that time, the kingdoms were already splintered, and they were fighting against each other. It was not unified. And they were hiring Christians to fight their own Muslims, and the Christians were hiring Muslims to fight against the Muslims. It was a big mess. It was very rich. They destroyed everything. They were even burning the stones of his palace. He declared himself Khalifa. There was a Khalifa. During all these turbulent times, the Middle East was open to the Crusades to happen. And they came and they came and they came over and over again. They put a foothold there. Never could it have happened. Until the Seljuks came. The Seljuks came with so much power, they could have taken over. They didn't. They said, we offer our services to you, Ya Sultan. So yeah, now looking properly. How many of us studying Islamic history, Muslims or people coming into Islam or non-Muslims? How many of us was even told that there was a great, if not the greatest Muslim empire that ruled Islam for 600 years, 700 years. That is called the Ottomans. How many of us are told that the golden age, oh, we talk about the Umawis, definitely Baghdad, definitely Andalusia, but about the Ottomans, nobody. No one. And if there was anything about the Turkish Khalifas, how many of us actually hear of what they did to Islam, what they did for the Ummat, what they did for this whole world? Or do we only hear, oh, they drank a lot, they have a lot of women, they destroyed so much, and it's just filled with corruption. Huh? So there is something wrong now. Even now, our container is dirty now. In order for us to get the right one, we have to clean this up. What were the Ottomans? What were they? They were a small tribe. Yes, they were not Arabs. The Arabs colonized. These Turks did not colonize. Let me give you one example, small thing, what colonization means. The Iraqis are not Arabs. The Egyptians, they're not Arabs. Yet when the Umawis and the Abbasis took over, everyone became, spoke Arabic. The Turks and the Ottomans, when they ruled from the Balkans to eastern China, from the short steppes of Russia, all the way to North Africa and further, this whole area here should be speaking Turkish. They didn't even make their own Greeks that they took over Constantinople to even make them to speak Turkish or Arabic, or any other language, say, no, don't even change the way you dress. You understand? 
I'm making it very simple so that everyone can understand what is colonization, what is not. When the British came and controlled India for 300 years, everyone spoke English up till now. How long did the French rule huh? Lebanon and, and that area there? 100 years maybe at most. Look at us now. Look at the people who have been colonized now. Still up till today, psychotic. Are we East? Are we West? Are we Muslims? Are we Westerners? Are we this? Are we that? Completely. What were the Ottomans? Why did they conquer Constantinople, Istanbul? Because Istanbul has been uh, attacked, has been tried since the time of Hazrat Osman. Because the Prophet says, the one who conquers Istanbul, what a, that general, what a great general. He's the greatest general in history. And that army is the greatest army in history that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ever created. And this is unanimous. Everyone accepts this, except for some fringe people that are very harmful. That they curse at Sultan Mehmed Fatih. But millions are following these ones. They're open, so I can openly say who their names are. You know Imran Hussein? He's cursing at Sultan Mehmed Fatih. He's saying, I will not rest until I turn Ayah Sophia back into a church. But millions of people are following him, thinking that he is a very knowledgeable man. He has some knowledge. Yes. Well, be careful. That story of the Pied Piper of Hamlet. So, what? he went there. Then what happened? Who is this man? Sultan Mehmed Fatih, for instance. And there are so many. Huh? He had a sheikh. He was holding fast to the Ahli Sunnah Akida. The Ottoman Empire, its backbone, its energy was Tasawuf. The Sultans, they were going to the feet of saints. It was an empire that every Thursday night, everything shuts down. The whole empire does zikr. And everyone belonged to a tariqat, a sheikh, everyone at least believed in awliyaullah and the ahlil bayt the ahlil bayt had free money a salary that the ottoman government would give to each and every one of them because they say it is not right that you should be working you are the grandchildren of the prophet your job now is just to open your hands and to pray for the entire nation the quran karim was recited officially from the station, from the maqam of the Khalifa for over 300, 400 years, continuously, day and night. There is a special room that is holding on to the most precious relics of the Holy Prophet his jubba, his holy tooth, his sakhal sharif that every morning the Khalifa, before he uh, becomes busy with worldly matters, which is they say the zikr of the Umara, it is dispensing justice. This is their worship, is to give justice. Before he does that, he will crawl into the chamber on his hands and feet, and he would collect the dust, the Khalifa. He would contain it, they would add some zamzam water, and he would distribute to people who would take it as shifa. This, this is an imitation of Sultan Selim, 
the first Ottoman Sultan who became the Khalifa when he went to the ch into the chamber of the Holy Prophet wasalam, the Rauza Sharif and he took the broom he says from now on and the broom was made of peacock feathers he took one and he put it in his turban and he says I am your slave Ya Rasulullah I am your slave I conquered this whole world I am your slave Ya Sultan Salim he pierced his ear you know what is that a sign of? Slavery. To say that now, yes, I am the slave of the Prophet. That no one else has these names except for some people in the subcontinent. What do you call? Gulam, Gulam Rasul. Sultan Mehmet Fatih, what did he say? He wrote a poem when he conquered Istanbul. And he says, what is this rain? If this rain doesn't remind me of you, Ya Rasulullah, I don't want this rain. What is this sunshine? What is this breeze? What are these flowers? If it doesn't please you, I don't want them. He says, I'm standing here looking at Istanbul. I would burn this whole city just to get one smile from your face. You understand the passion that they have? Not even the Arabs had that. They were holding fast with Tasawf. Every single Khalifa had a Shaykh and openly they were supporting. They were the ones who took Tasawf and Sufism and they spread to the rest of the world. Only now records are coming out from Southeast Asia that it was Sultan Mehmed Fatih who brought not only Islam but Tasawf there to Indonesia, to Malaysia, to that part of the world. And so, were there certain sultans who did wrong actions? Yes. Are we going to judge them? No. Allah is going to judge them. Are there certain sultans that they were not properly following in terms of practice or akirat? Yes. But we pull back. As our Shaykh used to say, even in the worst time of Islam, in the worst time, in the worst Khalifa, Islam was still spreading. There was still Sharia. There was still no haram in our money and in everything. The people were living, worshipping to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they were running. So that was still blessing. Now, it's done finished. Now don't worry. Prophet says, it's going to come back. This is what we're here. He says, after me, the Khulafai Rashidin, after the Khalifas, after the Khulafai Rashidin, the Meliks will come. Then the Sultans are going to come. And there's going to be a period of tyranny, Jababira period, and then a ruling that is like the ruling of the prophets will come back. The Khilafat is going to come back. And the Allah from that time until now, they've opened up that knowledge and opened up that knowledge more and more and more. The major, major one that has opened up a lot of that knowledge is Hazrat Ibn Arabi. That, while the Arabs, whether they are scholars or religious leaders or sultans, while they are condemning him and questioning whether he is a Muslim or he's not, 
the Ottoman sultans took out the sword and say, say that again? When they were ruling. They say, you have no knowledge of that, don't you dare say it. They were teaching Hazrat Ibn Arabi's teachings. And they were protecting the rights of the prophets and protecting the rights of the saints. They were going around. If they say, who is that over there? They say that they have a bowl that is belonging to say Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq. Say, go and collect it. They go, they give 100, 1,000 times more than what is worth. They say, come, we collect it. We put it in a place that is respectful. They collected thousands and thousands of these relics, not only from the Holy Prophet, but other prophets. They took the cane of Musa salam, the turban of Yusuf salam. They collected the relics of the earlier prophets. They collected the relics of the Holy Prophet salam, his wives, his, his companions, and the awliyaullah. From that time, and he collected everything. And they knew what they was going to happen. Because they knew this catastrophe is going to happen where the Haramayin is going to be controlled by the enemies of Islam. Two horns of Islam is going to come out and they're going to destroy everything that has a connection to the Holy Prophet Don't you see? They even blew up all the mountains that the Prophet loved. They blew up all the mountains now. And Muslims are going there and being very happy and saying, MashaAllah, we have umbrellas with air condition coming down. Yeah. They destroyed Janat al-Baqi. They destroyed Janat al-Mu'ala. They wanted to destroy, they still want to destroy the maqam of the Holy Prophet And what were the Ottomans doing? They were collecting and they were preserving. There was a time when they put all these things in the uh, Rawzai Sharif also. They made two huge golden candlesticks with 6,666 diamond inside the candlesticks, each to represent uh, ayat of the quran kirim There are different ways of calculating how many ayats there are. And that is the tasawuf way of understanding, and they're putting it there to represent that. They're giving highest respects. And when they knew certain things are going to happen, they took everything back. Because when the Wahhabis took over, they destroyed everything. Ta'if was a great center of learning, for, especially for the love of the Prophet and the ilm of the secret of the Prophet. They went there, these Wahhabis, and they collected all these books and they burnt them. They were tearing the leather covers and made them into shoes. It, it's a very um, satanic kind of anger that they have. That only shaitan would hate the Prophet like that. When the Ottoman soldiers that were defending Medina, and they receded into the chamber, and they left their weapons outside because you are forbidden to enter into the presence of the Prophet with any weapons. The Wahhabis came with their machetes, and while they were holding on to the gate of the Prophet asking for shafaat, they hacked their hands to pieces. So this is not a matter of just, oh, theological differences. You know, we believe different beliefs. No, there's, there's a price to pay. I forget which Sultan, Ottoman Sultan it was. He, uh, all around, in the masjid, on the walls, he actually carved into it. Well, we began with this, we're going to end with this. He carved into the walls the uh, Burdai Sharif. 
and certain verses from the Dil al Hayrat, the whole book is there. Burdai Sharif, a poem praising the Holy Prophet, it is a great shifa. Just to have that in your house is a great shifa. It's a great cure for any illness that you have, physical and otherwise. The Dil Hayrat has in that the secret name, the greatest name of the Holy Prophet. They were not doing calligraphy, they carved it into the walls. And our Shaykh says, yes, and they covered, because now they can't remove that, these Wahhabis. They removed everything, they destroyed everything, and they just put one thick paint around it, just to cover it up. So, how much love we have for the Prophet? Not much. Those who are saying we love, not much. We don't hear these things too much. If we do, what are we going to do about it? And what are we standing up to? We've come to the point where we say, Islam has to be like Christianity. We have to be tolerant. We have to be merciful. We have to forgive every wrong thing. Everything that Allah hates, don't judge. It's a very dangerous situation. And we see the blood of our innocent ones being shed every single day. The French wanted to put up a play mocking the Holy Prophet in the darkest days of Sultan Abdul Hamid Khan, the last ruling Khalifa of Islam. When he heard that Paris was going to perform it, he sent them a letter. And he says, if you don't pull out this play, you will hear the hooves of my horses in the streets of Paris. They stopped. There was a time when Islam, the Muslims, had power to defend the Prophet and to preserve Allah's uh, religion. Now, anyone can do anything that they want. Even if we are 2 billion Muslims, completely helpless. Even if we are 7 billion, we are going to be helpless. Because without a head, there is no power. May Allah bring the head back, inshallah. May Allah bring the rightly guided leader back, inshallah. May Allah send us Mahdi salam soon, inshallah. May Allah restore justice and balance back into this world. May Allah forgive us. May Allah not make us to be responsible. May Allah accept our forgiveness, inshallah, and make us to live clean and to pass clean from this.